podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC on a Wednesday on which Miguel Delaney has given us some hope. He has reported in The Independent that Liverpool are progressing, progressing in talks with Crystal Palace over Czech de Cure, and hopefully, hopefully, that is something that comes to fruition. Now, no word on a bid or anything like that. Nothing, nothing formal as yet. But here's what I'll say about Delaney. Currently, he's in Australia covering the Women's World Cup. I don't believe he'd put this story out unless it was well-sourced. And he has, in the past, had decent contacts at Palace. And he's had some decent contacts at Liverpool as well. So my hope is, he's also, remember, former colleagues with Mel Reddy. So she might have given him a tip on this. So my hope is that he sourced this on both sides and that there's a lot of truth to the story. Now, he's mentioned a price of 60 million and we've all been speculating that it could be 70 or 80 and I've said I'd, I'd happily, at this point, I'd happily pay the 80. Ideally, I'd like to pay, you know, 65 and 10 or 15 in add-ons. But if push came to shove, given where we are and given how long is left in the window, I'd just pay the 80 and get it done. But if we could get him closer to 60, it does open up a lot more possibilities for us in terms of getting in more players. Now, we know, or we hope, that there should be at least two arrivals. Now, we need three, but look, if we get two arrivals before the end of the window, that would be great. As things stand, if 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 I'm given preference, I'm taking Decore, I'm not even thinking about it. And then there's Manu Kone, there's Andre, there's Kefren Turam, there's... Obviously, the Matthias Nunes thing has been there sort of floating in the background all summer. There is some kind of loose links to Hayden Hackney at Borough. I think what I would do is Decure and Kone, because Decure gives you that six. Kone gives you a player who can be a six or an eight, depending on what shape you're playing. Him and Decure would work well in a double pivot and be absolutely monstrous to try and break down. And personally... Personally, if we could get Ducure and Kone for a similar fee to what we paid for, or to, sorry, to what we agreed to pay for Caicedo, I think we'd come out of it better off. I would rather have Ducure and Kone 
for 110 million than Caicedo and Lavia for 170 or whatever ridiculous fee Chelsea are going to end up paying for them. Because that then should leave us enough money to go and get the central defender that we need, the left-footed central defender, whether that's Goncalo Inacio or, or somebody else. Uh, Arthur Tiete at, um, at Ren is, is very much of interest to me. And I think that might be the more cost-effective deal, the one that's easier to do. Because with Inacio, you have to pay the full buyout in one go. Sporting will not negotiate on that. They're trying to extend his contract and put a bigger buyout in. So you're going to have to pay the whole lot up front. With Tieta, you might only have to pay $10 million up front and then pay the other $15 million in installments over the next three, four years. So that might be the play there. Now, that does leave us with one too many non-homegrown players. But at that point, I think the best thing to do is to sell Costa Simicus. Because what would be the point in keeping him in the squad if we have Tiete and Robertson... There's no point in having Costas around, unfortunately. And I like Costas, but, you know, that's just a simple fact of it. Um, I would also then look to do the deal for Andre to bring him in in January as a Thiago replacement six months before Thiago leaves the club and get him acclimatised and get him ready to really roll next summer, but have the benefit of him in the back half of the season. Again, that would put us back in the situation where, well, now we've got one too many non-homegrown players again. At that point, you just unregister Adrian. Simple as that. You just unregister him. Or what you could do, what you could do is you could bring Andre over and loan him somewhere in Europe for six months to get him acclimatised to European football. Loan him to the Bundesliga, maybe, and get him used to playing European football. If there's a club, because I think next summer we'll look to replace Joe Gomez and Joel Matip, and I would bet that right now we are are already narrowing in on targets that we would want next summer. Um, That's what Will Spearman and, and Barry Hunter and Dave Fallows will be doing. So potentially you do a strategic loan. Let's just say, as an example, Liverpool are eyeing Let's just say they're eyeing Antonio Silva at Benfica. Well, why wouldn't you send Andre to Benfica for six months to curry favour with Benfica and potentially use that as the start of a negotiation point for Antonio Silva? Andre gets six months in Europe in a good league, but a league that is a very much a transition league from... Brazil, he comes over, it's an easy start for him, he gets plenty of games and we start to talk to them about Antonio Silva. Or perhaps it's Atalanta for Scalvini. Or perhaps it's Bayer Leverkusen for Tapsapa. It might... It might just be a path to us to set something up for the summer to get one of the two centre-backs we'll need then. And it it could work out for everybody. And then he just comes back to us in the summer when Thiago goes. Matip will go. That opens up one non-homegrown spot. So we get one non-homegrown centre-back in. 
Adrian goes, that opens another one up. Now, it would mean we'd have to find a homegrown goalkeeper. And we'll probably need to find two because I, I really don't think Kelleher is going to stay beyond this season. I, I'm surprised he's still at the club now. But we can do things like that. That's fine. There's there's good young goalkeepers knocking around. There's one at Sunderland, Patterson. There's one at, is it Griffiths that's at West Brom? Uh, Joseph uh, Bok- Joseph Bursick, the kid that was at Stoke who's now at Club Bruges. Maybe you could bring him back to England. Talented young goalkeepers who'd be a very good backup to to Allison. And then you'd have your Pitalugas or whoever to fill out the third choice spot. Maybe you could find someone, not him, but a John Ruddy type as an experienced, you know, training ground goalkeeper more than anything to come in and just fill out numbers. Um, the one thing I think needs to happen once this window closes, though, is there needs to be there needs to be a serious conversation had about what we're doing and how we're operating because clearly the structure is broken. We had the best structure in football. Wherever you looked, teams were copying us. You want to know why Brighton are so successful in the market now? It's because they copied us. Tony Bloom hired people that worked for the company Ian Graham used to run, Ian Graham's old company that he sold to become a Liverpool employee. That's what Tony Bloom did. He also hired at least one person who had worked for us in the Michael Edwards, Ian Graham era. Tony Bloom built Brighton's model by copying ours. Now, our model should be basically Brighton on steroids, where they spend five and 10 million on prospects. We should be spending 15 and 20 on prospects. Unfortunately, someone has put the block on that routinely over the last seven, eight years. But that someone was given far too much power after winning the Champions League. The summer that we did where we won the Champions League and didn't buy anybody other than Harvey and Seth Vandenberg and Adrian, that's where the problems all started. Then they settled down and then they exploded the, the January window where we had bids in for Botman and Carmel and they ended up having to pull those bids. We had a deal agreed for Coletta Carr. He was at the airport in Marseille ready to get on a flight to fly to Liverpool and somebody changed their mind. And we ended up with Ozan Kabak and Ben Davies. Um. And that's really that was really the beginning of the end with, with Michael Edwards at the club, because much of the blame for that was publicly put on to him. When in truth, he'd gone and he found really good centre backs to bring in. Now, Coletta Carr didn't work out at Southampton. Doesn't mean he wouldn't have worked out at Liverpool. Very different club, different coaches, different level of players around him. Would he have been a great player for us? No, absolutely not. But he could have been a solid squad player. Um, Carmo and Botman, I mean, we've seen what Botman's done. He was the best centre-back in the league last year. David Carmo had a horrific ankle injury not long after that um, and hasn't fully recovered, though he did move to Porto last summer for £30 million or something, fairly fairly substantial. We had a, a bid in for twenty five, um, And then the straw that broke the camel's back was was a couple of dealings on contracts. 
And that's that's ultimately what Michael Edwards resigned over, was he got sick and tired of being ignored, of being blamed for things that weren't his decisions, of having someone go over his head and deal with Mike Gordon and Mike Gordon's side with, with that person. So um, that person now has all the control. That person blocked moves for potential sporting directors. Prior to this summer, that person was the person who brought um, Jörg Schmatke to the table and, and got him a, a, a gig. Uh, come September, that person needs to be put back in their box and told, do their job and shut the fuck up. And Jörg Schmatke needs to be future endeavoured because it's an absolute shambles. He does nothing. He does absolutely nothing. He needs to go. Simple as that. Um, and a, a real sporting director needs to be brought in. And there are, despite the fact that we missed out on the two who were the best two, Tim Steepten, who went to West Ham, and Christoph Freund, who went to, who's agreed to go to Bayern. Um, worth noting, we did also mix, miss out on Max Eberl last summer because someone didn't want to bring him in. They preferred an internal appointment to someone they thought they could push around, did push around, and then that person quit as well which is how we're in a situation where we've got Jörg Schmatke at the club. Um, but we do have we do have other options. Now, there's a couple... There's a couple who make a lot of sense for us. There's a few who are out of work. There's a few who uh, potentially are gettable from other clubs. So the one who's out of work at the moment is the one who's out of work at the moment. That That's kind of rumbling around as, as somebody that we might approach is um, Christian Vival, who very highly regarded, was in the Red Bull system for a long time, joined Chelsea not that long ago and has already left because the place is a fucking zoo. So he'd be an option. Um, Marcus Croce of Eintracht Frankfurt, he was at Red Bull for a while as well. He was the sporting director at Leipzig for a time. Uh, he left and Eberl took over. Uh, he's at Eintracht Frankfurt. He's very, very good. Great eye for talent. Buys and sells very well. Giovanni Rossi of Sassuolo outstanding eye for talent. One of the best talent spotters around sells players really well. Take a look at what Sassuolo have done uh, since he took over running football operations in 2018. Um, he He's outstanding. Uh, Florian Maurice is the sporting director at Rennes. Another one with a great eye for talent. Now, can he... He generally spots young players very, very well and brings them in. Doku, Suleimana, look through their squad. It is chock full of really exciting players that he was responsible for. Um, a less sexy one will be um, Clemens Hartenbach, who's the sporting director at Freiburg and has been there a long, long time. And him and the coach, Stike, they, they've literally built that club from nothing into one of the best-run clubs in Europe. Completely sustainable, 
They've had European football multiple times, which when you consider their budget is a huge achievement. They've been, they've been challenging for Champions League on a budget that should have them barely staying in the division. That's how good they are. But he's excellent at what he does. And then there's two others who, like Vivelle, are out of work. Gabriel Zamagna is an interesting one. He was responsible for building the great Atalanta team of a few years ago. He was responsible for rebuilding their academy. So many of the immense young players that they plucked from here, there and everywhere for buttons and then sold a huge profit with barely a game played. Kulosevsky, uh, Ahmed Diallo, players like that, they're all his finds. They're all on him. He stepped down a few years ago and their current sporting director is very good as well, but I don't think he'd leave at this point. But Zemagna might be open to a new a new challenge. He might be open to a new challenge. And he's very, very good. And the last one I'd throw out is Jose Luis Caminero. Um, he's been out of work for a while. He left Atleti in 2018 to take over as CEO of Malaga, and it didn't go particularly well for him. I think there was too much of the business side that he just didn't have a good handle on. But from the footballing side, look at what he did. Look at Atleti's signings between 2011 and 2018. He did a phenomenal job there. He built that great Atleti team that won won La Liga when Real and Barca were both great. Got to two Champions League finals. And, And the thing with him is, he worked with Simeone. So he's not going to back down from Klopp because Jürgen might be fiery, but Simeone's a lunatic. And Caminero, there were tales, whether they're true or not, there were tales told that the two of them would go nose to nose frequently. And people were just waiting on the moment when news came that one of them had punched the other. He's not going to take a backward step. He didn't take a backward step as a player. He's certainly not going to take one as a as a sporting director. And I think he'd find Jürgen like a puppy dog compared to the lunatic in Atleti. So if you want someone who won't take shit from Jürgen and will put Jürgen back in his box, that Jose Luis Caminero might be the guy. But that's just a list of seven. Now, I said this on Twitter earlier. Um, yes, I do keep lists like this. This is merely the tip of the iceberg. Yes, I'm fully aware it's very sad that this is one of the things I do in my spare time. And no, I I don't care because it's something I enjoy doing. I enjoy putting together lists of potential people that Liverpool could hire in certain places. So I also have lists of probably 20 players for every position that we could look at that aren't, you know, your your obvious choices. Um, I keep lists of agents that I'd like us to deal with and agents that I don't. Um, I, I keep lists of potential owners as well. You know, because when, when, when I hear people bang the FSG out drum and, and they're absolutely entitled to do so, and, and I do think there's a lot of merit in 
in some of what they say. There's a lot of what they say is complete fucking batshit nonsense. Such as Billy Hogan talked about cost cutting the other day. No, he didn't. Oh, he did, yeah. No, he didn't. What he said was, we run the club sustainably and without Champions League football, we have to react accordingly, which we've done. The following day, news of a £111 million bid for Moises Caicedo came out. So he didn't talk about cost cutting. You interpreted it that what he said was we're cutting costs. But that's not what he said. It's not what he said at all. What he said was, we need to react accordingly. And that's what we've done. You just used it as a reason to winch. Then you've got the people that are saying the Caicedo deal, the Caicedo offer was just a PR move. Firstly, these people are completely unaware of what PR is. They've absolutely no fucking notion of what it is. Then they claim that the reason the Caicedo bid was made because there were over 100,000 FSG out tweets. Do you think John Henry gives a flying fuck what's said on Twitter? Genuinely? We're 13 years in to FSG owning the club. Do you genuinely think he looks at Twitter and says, Jesus, Linda, we're trending for all the wrong reasons. We best get the checkbook out. A hundred thousand plus tweets saying FSG out. Or do you think he's completely, and I mean completely removed from Twitter? He doesn't care. Because why would he? Because here's the thing. There is no mechanism for fans to remove an owner from a football club. None. That's why we've seen clubs go bust in recent years. That's why the Glazers are still at Manchester United. There is no mechanism. There is nothing fans can do to remove an owner who does not wish to be removed because the club is their private property. That's how it works. They have ownership of the club. For all the noise that was made against Hicks and Gillette, None of it really mattered. None of it really mattered. It was fantastic what people like Spirit of Shankly and others did. It was fantastic, but it was meaningless. None of it made the slightest bit of difference. You know what made a difference? Them defaulting on payments. The banks got rid of them. And the only way to get rid of the Glazers at United would be if they were to default on payments, but they won't. There's a reason they're still there. 18 years. Most of which have been spent with Norwich flags being waved and Norwich scarves being put on and protests. And it's made not one bit of difference. They couldn't give a shit. Not one shit could they give. And the same is true of John Henry. And John Henry isn't nearly as bad an owner as the Glazers. John Henry's actually quite a good owner. My gripe is 
they're just tight. They're not bad owners. They've made some bad decisions. They've also made a lot of very good decisions. And for a few years, we were the best-run club in Europe. The reasons were not anymore centre around them allowing someone to have too much power. That happens at a lot of clubs. That's normal. Unfortunately, when you don't have the financial muscle and that person sees shiny things and wants the expense of shiny things, that's where you fall into problems. When that person is turning down the option to sign Enzo Fernandez for 15 million quid and Moises Caicedo for 5 million quid, that's where you have problems. But they're not bad owners. They're not bad owners of the Red Sox. The Red Sox are the most successful team in Major League Baseball since John Henry bought them. John Henry was a part owner of the Florida Marlins as well when they won a World Series. So the man knows what it is to have success. I've seen people say, oh, the Penguins fans hate them as well. No, they don't. Don't be silly. Do you know what the Penguins have done this offseason? Do you know what the Red Sox have done in any recent year? No. Because all you do is read a few entitled twats on Twitter. Oh, the Red Sox let all their stars go. No, they didn't. They traded away Mookie Betts and they let Xander Bogarts go. Because both of them were pushing 30 and wanted contracts that would have paid them between 350 million and 400 million over 13 years. So they traded bets to the Dodgers. Now, the return they got, you, you could be annoyed about. They didn't get a great return for Mookie Betts, who's one of the better players in baseball. He's not the Messi of baseball, though. He's not the player in the game. He's not even the best player in his position. But he's a very good player. A very, very good player. They just didn't get a good enough return for him. It's a little bit like when we sold Suarez as an example. But he's not quite a Suarez-level player. But he is tremendous. There's no question. He is a tremendous player. And they traded him to the LA Dodgers for a couple of prospects, a couple of players that were decent. One of one or two of them have worked. One has worked out. One has worked out. Um, but they got a low return. But they were right not to give him the contract he wanted. They were. And when you look at that contract in years to come, it is going to be it is going to be questionable. He got 12 years, $365 million. 12 years, $365 million. The other one is Xander Bogarts. He left as a free agent. That was a mistake. They should have traded him earlier. But not signing him to the contract wasn't a bad thing. He went to the, the Padres... <clears throat> in San Diego, I believe he got 11 years, 300 million, 11 years, 280 million. But again, 
He's 30 years of age. They're going to be paying him 27 million or whatever the fuck when he's 41. The chances of him even being able to play when he's 41 are low. But he's still going to be there and he's still going to be getting his money. The same with Mookie Betts. Mookie is... He's 30 now. He's still got... What's he got? He's got about 10 years left on that contract. So he'll be 40. And he's a player that relies on his speed. So, no, not mistakes at all. Bad trades, bad decisions to let Bogarts leave for free, but not not bad mistakes not to sign them. And then you've got the one that's been ignored. They gave Raphael Devers a 10-year, 313.5 million extension, which kicks in next year. The difference is he's 26. He'll be 27 when that contract kicks in. So he'll be 37 when it ends. So maybe the last year or two will be a little bit difficult to digest. But he's also not a player who relies on speed or athleticism. He's a very good third baseman, but he's not a player that relies on speed or athleticism. He's not a gold glove third baseman. He's a hitter. He could move into, he could move to first base in his early 30s. He could move to a designated hitter role towards the end of his contract. And then his contract becomes value. But Bogarts as a shortstop relies on athleticism and reflexes things that go in your mid-30s. Mookie Betts plays the outfield, relies heavily on his speed, on his athleticism and his reflexes. Again, they go. So they've made the smart decision. They would have given the contracts to Bogarts and Betts if they were willing to take five or six years. But the trend in baseball now is these 10, 12, 13-year contracts. And they weren't prepared to do them because they weren't prepared to have four or five years of paying a player massive money for what will be below average performance. But the one that they gave the contract to, that's been ignored completely. And yeah, I know they've had a couple of bad years. Baseball is cyclical. Baseball always happens in cycles. Always. The Houston Astros were garbage for years. And all of a sudden, they're the best team in baseball. They've won two World Series in the last five years or whatever. And they're probably the best team against again this year. The Red Sox have set themselves up, though, by lowering their payroll to be able to be players in the free agency market next summer. But they also made plays for some of the big free agents that came up last summer, but again, they weren't prepared to pay stupid money. And they're now in a situation where potentially, potentially, they could go next offseason and make a huge play for Shohei Otani, which would vault them back into elite level contention 
Cody Bellinger could be a free agent. They could go after him. Julio Arias could be a free, is a free agent. They could go after him. He would fit their age. Josh Hader, if they're looking for a good relief pitcher, he could be the one for them. But they're not going to give huge contracts to fellows who are or are pushing 30. That doesn't make them bad owners. I've gone completely off topic here and spent the last seven or eight minutes talking about baseball. And I'm just going to leave it there. On AnfieldIndex.com today, um, you can check. This is Anfield, uh, Liverpool.com and Anfield Watch whenever you want. Um, on AnfieldIndex.com, there's a piece about Ducure. There's a piece about Salah. Um, there's a piece about the search for number six. There's a piece by Andrew Beasley. Uh, Jurgen Klopp must learn that less is more. Um, there's a piece regarding Liverpool's shocking transfer bundles, which um, I just want to see who the source of that that opinion is before I comment. Um, Neil Jones. Um, I don't think the the Caicedo Lavia stuff reflects nearly as badly in the club as people would like to make it out to. That's all I'm going to say on it. Um, I, I don't mind missing out on Lavia. He's an amazingly talented young player. He really is, but he's shown that he's money motivated. So wait to fuck. Decore is a much better player than him now. Now in four or five years, maybe Lavia is a better player then. Not anytime soon, and we need players for the here and now. Um, there is a new scouted um, looking at non-Premier League transfers, and there is a new under pressure. Uh, Dan Kennett hosting Daniel Rhodes, Simon Brundish, and Phil Barter to discuss the 1-1 draw at Chelsea. So check that out. And that will do me for today, folks. I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.